Buy low, sell high. Very easy to say, but not always so easy to do. For example, high interest rates are hurting the real estate market right now. Demand is dropping and prices in a lot of markets are falling, even for many of the best assets. So it's no wonder the Fundrise flagship fund plans to go on a buying spree, expanding its billion-dollar real estate portfolio over the next few months. You can add the Fundrise flagship fund to your portfolio in just minutes and with as little as $10 by visiting fundrise.com pockets, fundrise.com pockets. Carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the Fundrise flagship fund before investing. This and other information can be found in the fund's prospectus at fundrise.com flagship. This is a paid advertisement. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that I turned one of my first homes into an Airbnb? It's true. And it even helped me get the extra income I needed to launch my real estate career. So if you want to try your hand at making even more income with your property, Airbnb is the place to be. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Top real estate investors love to talk about how they save so much on taxes. But how are they able to build rental property empires while skirting Uncle Sam? 1031 exchanges. 1031 exchanges allow you to defer capital gains taxes while you sell an investment property, exchanging your old property for a bigger, better one and avoiding the tax man while you do it. And that's where First American Exchange Company comes in. They're the leaders in 1031 exchanges. Whether you're a seasoned investor or just starting, First American Exchange can help you with simple rental property exchanges, complex commercial real estate investments, reverse exchanges, and more. Don't let your taxes eat into your profits. Visit First American Exchange Company at firstexchange.com or call them at 800-556-2520. That's firstexchange.com or 800-556-2520. Keep your money in your pocket and propel your portfolio further at firstexchange.com. First American Exchange Company does not provide tax or legal advice. Consult your financial, real estate, tax, or legal advisor about your circumstances. First American Exchange Company. Safe, smart, secure. Hey, what's going on, everyone? Welcome to On The Market. I'm Dave Meyer, your host. And today we have a super cool new format for you. We are going to be bringing in a CBS News reporter to talk about an economic issue that has been making a lot of news recently, and that is that the United States just hit its debt limit. It's sort of this wonky but fascinating situation that's playing out in Washington right now and could have potential impacts for real estate investors, all sorts of investors, and just ordinary Americans. So we wanted to help you all understand this issue in depth, so we've brought on Sarah Ewall Weiss, who is a reporter in Washington who covers this short sort of thing um, in Washington, D.C., and is going to teach us about the history of the debt limit, what's going on in Washington right now, and what some of the implications could be for you and other investors. So I really hope you like it. If you, uh, We would love your feedback on this type of show. You can always go on the BiggerPockets forums and tell us about it, or you can hit me up on Instagram where I'm at the Data Deli and let me know what you think of this show. With that, we're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to welcome on Sarah to talk about the debt limit. Sarah Ewall Weiss, thank you for joining us on the market today. Hello. Good to be here. All right, Sarah. Well, let's start by having you introduce yourself to our audience and explain why you are here talking to us about this uh, exciting, important, and somewhat nerdy topic. 
Sure. Uh, I am a reporter for CBS News based in Washington, D.C., and I cover both economic policy uh, and also politics. And the debt ceiling conversation is one that both hits on the economy big time, uh, depending on how long these talks go, and also is a huge political talker for folks here in Washington, lawmakers, policymakers, experts all across the board. Uh, but we are back at that point where we're talking about the debt ceiling again because the United States government hit the debt limit. Uh, and so this becomes a conversation where members of Congress need to act now uh, to avoid calamity. Okay, well, that is definitely on my mind and many people's minds. So we're going to get to that. But let's let's just start at the beginning. Can you explain to us what the debt ceiling even is? Sure. So the debt ceiling, also referred to as the debt limit, is how much the United States government is allowed to borrow to pay the bills. Uh, this is very important to note. This is not how much the United States government is allowed to spend. This is the borrowing to pay already uh, spending that's already gone out the door uh, across the board, across the federal government. Uh, and it was actually uh, first really saw the debt limit when it was back in 1917. There was a law uh, and then it was expanded to cover all government debt right before World War II. Uh, but basically, Congress enacted this law and continually every few years, uh, they have to come back to it as the national debt grows and up that balance so that the United States government could continue paying the bills without going into default, which has never happened before in U.S. history. So we're, over the last couple of years, we're all hearing more and more about the debt ceiling. Has it always been of public interest? You know, it feels like it's becoming more frequently and frequently talked about. Uh, and that's because it's become more of a political battle in the past couple of decades. Um, essentially, we've obviously always had this national debt and we've always really had a deficit depending on a few times where they've been able to balance the budget. Uh, but it does need to be addressed every so often. With that said, lawmakers have started using the debt limit to uh, really come out as a tool to negotiate spending in Washington. Uh, so we get to the point now every few years uh, where we are hitting this limit. And so that is when they come to the table and say, some lawmakers say, well, we need to cut spending. Others say we just need to raise the national debt. Uh, but the idea is, is we get to this crisis point where it really needs to be addressed. Uh, and then we kick it down the can down the road rather than addressing the actual issue. And I say we talking about Congress rather than addressing the actual issue, which is how much the United States government is spending. I mean, you keep in mind, the United States government uh, has always really uh, been borrowing to pay the bills. It comes down to tying the debt limit to the budget as they go, whereas these are two separate conversations that aren't happening together. Uh, and then we get to this point where there's a real freak out and a lot of concerns across the economy about what this means if the U.S. stops paying the bills or is unable to pay the bills. Uh, so it's become more frequent. It's been used more, more of a tool lately. Uh, we saw in 2011, Republicans used this in negotiations with the Obama administration. Uh, and now we're back here with the Biden administration and Republicans kind of in a, a showdown over the exact same issue uh, over a decade later. I, I do want to get into to current events in, in just a minute here, but I, I just want to make clear, from my understanding, the debt limit has been raised like dozens of times, right, over the last couple of decades. The, the fact that it's getting raised is not actually new. It's just the, the political climate about it has changed a bit. Yes, uh, the debt limit has been raised dozens of times, many times in the past 
two decades. Um, just thinking back, it was raised back and we feel like we've had this conversation recently. It was raised in 2021. In December 2021, we had to reach a deal. Of course, it was raised or suspended three times under President Trump while he was in office over four years. Uh, but it's, so it's an ongoing conversation. It's raised multiple times in the Obama administration. Uh, and every kind of time there's this larger growing debt, they come back and they look at it and they move forward and they either raise or suspend it. Uh, suspending it means they just kind of kick the can down the road and it kicks back in later uh, with the, n- the number at a higher level than it was when they suspended it. Okay, that that makes sense. And has the debt, I mean, obviously we know during COVID there was a lot of spending, but has the debt increased recently faster than it has historically? So I think it's tricky really to say whose debt it is specifically. I think you can absolutely say during the coronavirus pandemic, uh, the government, both under President Trump and then under President Biden, put out a lot of spending uh, really to help save the economy uh, from tanking. And that has added to it much more rapidly in the past few years. Um, I would avoid saying, well, whose debt has who's added more to the debt, because it really is hard to tell because there's been this accumulation of debt for so many decades uh, in the United States. Uh, in the, and so it's it's tricky. But yes, I would say the coronavirus pandemic definitely uh, did not help in, in speeding up uh, the rising debt. OK, great. So you mentioned something earlier, which is that we have hit the debt limit. So what does that mean? So, you know, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen sent a letter to congressional leaders a little over a week ago around uh, January 19th. And she said, hey, we're starting to use these measures to move around money because we've hit the limit, the limit being thirty one point four trillion dollars. And that was the decided upon number back when they uh, negotiated this last time in 2021. Uh, so they've hit that limit. And now the Treasury Department is moving around funds to keep paying the bills. They call them extraordinary measures. It's kind of funny because these are not extraordinary anymore. We've used them many times starting in uh, 1985 and onwards. Uh, so we've heard it time and time again, but they're so-called extraordinary measures still. Um, and essentially it means moving around money to keep paying the bills. But she did say that Essentially, those uh, the ability to pay the bills would run out as early as June. There's a lot of uncertainty because we do have revenue coming in. And as revenue comes in, the Treasury puts it out and pays the bills uh, and is able to move things around. Starting in June, uh, she says that could completely run out. When it runs runs out and the, US, the United States government is unable to pay the bills, it's the so-called X date. And as we get closer to that time frame, uh, more policy experts will start to come out with their estimates on exactly what that date is. Uh, the Treasury Department will get a better idea of exactly what that date is. Uh, but when that date hits, the United States unable to pay its bills. Uh, and that is when the United States could go into default for the first time. Uh, and that is where the real uncertainty happens. So we're kind of in this period of this needs to be addressed and it's a pressing issue, uh, but we are not really sounding the the, the red flags and the, the alarms aren't going off at this stage. Uh, but of course, you know that Congress doesn't do anything quickly. Um, and so that is why it's a, a pressing issue now rather than waiting to the last possible minute when even if they reach a deal at the last possible minute, there could be repercussions. Yeah, absolutely. Because that's so let me just summarize that by saying basically you're saying that we have technically hit the, the limit and the implications are that in the long term or that if we can't borrow more money, we can't pay our obligations. As you said, the debt that we are financing is for spending that has already been approved. Exactly. And so that is the concern. But 
because the treasury has some accounting tricks up their sleeves, they can continue to pay uh, the debts of the United States, even though we have technically hit uh, the limit. Now, you, I think we were both about to just go to a, an idea that, that basically, I think it was 2011, right? Where there was a negotiation over the debt ceiling and the United States did not default, but there were repercussions for it. Is that correct? That is correct. So there was a last minute deal that was reached. Uh, and this was something that was negotiated between the Obama administration and House Republicans, uh, which is kind of a similar makeup to what we have now, where the White House is a Democratic president, um, but the House is run by Republicans. We have a Democratic Senate currently. Um, but they had to reach a deal and it came down to the wire where they were negotiating spending cuts to make this happen. Uh, and even though they were able to reach a deal leading up to it, there was so much uncertainty uh, that the stock market took a took a plunge and the U.S. credit score or excuse me, credit rating was downgraded by S&P. Uh, and so that had repercussions. There's estimates uh, that that cost the U.S. economy about $20 billion over a decade, uh, which is one estimate that was done. Uh, but, you know, the, the S&P dropped about 6% leading up to that. They were able to, to reach that deal and we avoided a greater financial uh, catastrophe. Uh, but that just goes to show that even leading up to this, as the, the clock ticks down to that so-called X date, or in this case, sometime in June, uh, as we're seeing it, there are uh, challenges and uncertainties that could lead to problems in the economy. That is something I think real estate investors in our audience will understand. Basically, what happened, right, is that the credit worthiness of the United States was downgraded by credit rating agencies. And when that happens, the debt, you know, usually the, the person whose credit is downgraded has to pay more to, to get loans in the future. This is similar to taking out a real estate mortgage. If you have worse credit, you are going to pay a higher interest rate. And so what happened in 2011 is that, you know, the U.S. basically became less credit worthy and had to pay uh, a higher interest rate, among other things, and economic repercussions. That seems like just the tip of the iceberg, right? That is the tip of the iceberg of things that could happen if the United States were to actually default on its debt. Can you tell us a little bit more about what the repercussions could be if the if the not just the debt ceiling is reached because we have done that, but the United States is unable to meet its obligations. Yes. So if the United States defaults, we, we started to get into it. This could be a catastrophe for the stock mar markets. Uh, we could see the stocks plunge across the board, not just the United States, but we're looking at this from a global scale because the United States really sets the tone for the rest of the world. Uh, and, and with that said, you know, when you mentioned it being able to borrow, this would boost interest rates on borrowing for the United States moving forward. Uh, and that would cost the United States billions more on top of the trillions it already owes uh, when it goes to pay its bills in the future. Uh, so that is one thing. I mean, the United States government is supposed to be the most they're supposed to be the most confident. It's it's supposed to be risk-free investments. This is if there's if it's no longer risk-free and we're facing all these challenges, what does that mean for everything else? Uh, so that also has further waves of repercussions when it comes to how much Americans are borrowing, because that 
boosts interest rates when you're going to get a mortgage, when you're going to pay a car loan, uh, you want to borrow to buy a car, uh, when you're paying for credit card bills, um, your interest will go up across the board. Um, This is on top of the already uh, challenging time that we're in, where we know inflation is high uh, and the Fed is boosting interest rates. Uh, We've seen record high credit credit card interest rates already. Uh, So those are different things that are happening. At the same time, we have the repercussions that happen in the government itself, because the government pays billions of dollars on a monthly basis to different parties across the board. Different groups of Americans receive different things. So, for instance, if the United States is unable to meet its debt obligations, it it will be unable to pay veterans benefits uh, for one thing. Social security payments, one of the most important things for our senior citizens, those could be delayed, not go out in time when many people need those payments and rely on those payments. There's also the things like the SNAPS program, uh, formerly stamped. So food benefits uh, for low, um, low income Americans, different types of benefits that people rely on are going to stop and be delayed should we reach that point. The military would go unpaid. Uh, of course, we just hope they just continue working on the job. Uh, but that's the reality. And that has repercussions in the economy because when they're getting the money, guess where that money's going? It's going out to businesses when they go and buy things. It's going out for housing. It's going out and it kind of has this like long ripple effect across other sectors of the United States uh, coming from the government. So that is important to keep in mind. This won't just impact those who rely on government payments. It's anyone who's relied on people who get any kind of government payment. Uh, and that's kind of where it's just uh, who knows really where this could go. But all in all, it'd be really, really bad. Yeah, that's that's a question no one wants to answer, right? Yeah, no one wants to know what happens if the United States defaults on its debt. I think p- p- people on both both sides of the aisle have basically said, like, we cannot default on our debt. But it does seem that given the importance of paying our debts, that that is basically why it's being used as leverage for sort of this broader conversation about spending and fiscal policy in the U.S. That's exactly right. And it's kind of funny because it's being used as a negotiation tool uh, in a way where it's really something that there should be no conversations about even going there. It's just too risky to even consider. uh, But it's been tied into this political battle here in Washington that happens over and over again, when the reality is, is lawmakers are setting budgets and paying for things and putting money out the door and borrowing to do it regularly anyway on both sides of the aisle. They have to come up with a budget every year every couple months, depending on how they go about it. And that spending is happening anyway. Uh, And so this just becomes one tool that has really brought people to the table, uh, but in a way that could be really brutal and catastrophic for all entities. Uh, And so it's a a poor way of looking at the situation, uh, but it's the way that it's come about for multiple scenarios or multiple years now in recent recent decades. Yeah. It seems like basically Congress has used this as a forcing function to talk about spending, even though it sounds like they're not necessarily even related, right? Like the spending and what what people, what the Congress and the government is spending on is done during appropriations, right? That's when they are spending money but this is is basically just like sort of a check mark to say, yeah, we're actually gonna we will actually send you a check basically for all those things we paid. Um, so that that's it's kind of interesting. But um, you know, I think a lot of people feel that this is an important conversation to be had. And I guess 
the debt ceiling somehow has evolved as the this sort of like the time when we when we talk about this. So I'm just curious, you know, you said House Republicans um, are negotiating with the White House. What is it that they're hoping for and what are they asking for in exchange for raising the debt limit? That's basically the the the, the conversation, right? Like they want reduction of spending in exchange for approving an increased debt limit ceiling, right? So this is the trick here. And, and I should say the Republicans say they want to negotiate. We aren't even at the point where they actually are negotiating yet. So just to be clear, there's been a kind of a standoff on like the start point of talks. Uh, and I'll talk about it in terms of the White House. Uh, the press office has said the White House is not going to negotiate. This is not something they can negotiate on. This is a risk that will not be addressed um, and they need to raise the debt limit point blank. They've done it before under Republican presidents. Why are they holding this hostage now? That is the, the White House messaging essentially on this. At the same time, in Congress, Republicans are saying they absolutely need to negotiate on this, and they also need to negotiate it in terms of spending cuts. They're not actually saying specifically they want to see cut. Democrats will point at them. Democrats in Congress point at them and say, well, they're looking at Social Security and they're looking at Medicare. Um, and some Republicans are, in fact, bringing up those uh, two entitlement programs as a part of this conversation. Uh, but other Republicans are saying, well, no, we need to cut spending across the board. Uh, so there's really a standoff right now specifically on, well, what's the plan? Who's going to decide the plan? Because that's where you can then go and point fingers, depending on uh, who actually comes forward with that plan and say, well, they wanted to cut this or that. Um, but it so it, it's still at the point where both sides haven't taken a seat at the table and are asking the other side to kind of sit down first and lay out a map of what they want to see. Um, but that is kind of where we're at, where it's the White House wants it to be a raise the debt ceiling. We'll talk about spending, but we're not going to do it in this conversation. This is not where we'll negotiate uh, at this point in time. And Republicans are saying, well, no, we have to negotiate spending at this point in time to address the debt ceiling and the debt limit. Uh, so that's kind of where it's at. I, I think uh, in the coming months, uh, we'll get more information, coming weeks, really, we'll get more information on where there could be um, places uh, where there is a path to a compromise. Uh, but right now, it's really a lot of posturing uh, and not a lot of sit down, hard conversations being had. Um, and there will be, a, I'm sure, other proposals about how to go about addressing this. So we're not in this situation again in two years moving forward between now and June, hopefully sooner rather than later. I'm guessing that you can, being a reporter in Washington, you can describe a lot of things you cover as posturing. <laughs> oh, um, most of it is posturing, I, I will say. And then suddenly something happens usually. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It just seems like what's going to happen, right? Is like the both sides are sort of like talking at each other, but there's not really a conversation going on right now. Um, what do you think happens? I mean, you said, you know, there's posturing, but like, what do you think happens over the next couple of months? Is there going to be progress or are we all going to be, well, all are the people like me who look at this very anxiously going to be worried for the next several months? Um, or do you think there'll be like steady progress towards a resolution? So I, I think people are going to remain anxious for a little bit of time. Uh, I will say, I think the White House and Republican congressional leaders are supposed to meet uh, and start these conversations or just start a conversation in general. We are in a new Congress uh, in the coming days and months. Um, so that is 
a starting point. Um, it'll go from there. Every time this happens, there's a standoff. And at some point, somebody blinks. Mm -hmm. um, we felt that in 2021, where there was a standoff specifically in the Senate because they needed 60 votes in the Senate. And that wasn't happening. Um, and then finally, essentially, uh, Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell blinked. And in that instance, they were able to use just Democrats to raise the debt limit. Um, so that's going to be one of those situations where one side does have to blink. Um, there are other ideas being floated out there about how this could go about where it doesn't happen in this way moving forward. I don't know if they can reach any meaningful way to address this differently between now and June. Uh, but that is something that I think there'll be another conversation so that we aren't just kicking the can down the road. Um, there will be a separate group. But the makeup of this Congress is different than it has been in the past. And that's why there's different uncertainty surrounding this issue. In 2021, they needed to get Republicans in the Senate to step down so that they could pass it. But it was a Democratic controlled Senate, House and White House. So they were able to reach that deal. This time, there's such a small majority of Republicans in the House uh, that it's hard to pass anything in the House. And there's a group of very hardline Republicans that are simply saying we will not vote on this. So it comes down to they need to reach a compromise. Uh, we've spoken to some Democratic congressmen who've said it'll end up being a group of Republicans and a lot of Democrats who come and address this together to pass something in the House. Uh, so the makeup of how how the House is made up has made this uncertain in a different way. Uh, and then, of course, it comes down to what will the relationship really be between the White House and Speaker McCarthy and congressional Republican leaders uh, as they start to have these conversations. Uh, because, like I said, we've had a new Congress that came in in January. Yeah, it's very interesting. It seems like one of the first sort of tests of the relationship between the new Congress, the White House, and everything that's going on um, happening uh, at a crucial, you know, economic period. So, so we'll have to see see what happens. But thank you for explaining this to us. One of the one of the options I've heard about, I really don't understand, is have you heard of the trillion dollar coin? Idea? Oh yes, I love this. What what is that? I don't even I don't get it. Uh, so the idea is. Um, there is a law in the books from 1997, which essentially says that the Treasury Department can mint a coin of absolutely any denomination. Uh, and so the idea is that this has been floated by a former director of the Mint. Um, it's been called for by some lawmakers, I believe more recently from some Democratic lawmakers. Uh, and so the idea is the Treasury could simply mint a trillion dollar coin. It could be taken and that could be used to address the national debt. Oh, wait. So like, is that basically just like money printing, though? But it's That's pretty much. Um, well, the, the Fed has to step in and accept this. OK, so that's like a one uncertainty. Um, I can say point blank that Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen has been asked about this and she's called it a gimmick. So okay. not really on board. So we can kind of like toss this out the window in reality, uh, though it comes up every couple of years when we talk about the debt ceiling. Um, and she's also said this would be one of those things where you're overriding the independence of the Fed. Um, and so that's part of it where it just comes down to, OK, so we're not going to get the Treasury secretary uh, to say yes to this. And then the other the other side of this is, well, if the U.S. can simply mint a coin of any like denomination and like what does that mean for the markets moving forward in like any future situation the United States might be in, period. Yeah, it seems like a terrible idea. OK, <laughs> <laughs> so it is something that's OK, it's out there. It, it might be doable. It's never been tried before. 
Oh, I, I get it. So it's basically saying that, like, you know, normally the Fed controls monetary policy, right? Just for everyone listening, we're talking when, when we talk about Congress and spending by the government, that is fiscal policy. When we're talking about how much money is in circulation, uh, federal funds rate, stuff we talk about a lot on this show, we're, that is called monetary policy. Usually the Fed controls like money printing, that sort of stuff. So what you're saying, though, is there's basically a loophole where the Treasury, which is part of the what, executive branch, I don't even yes. know. Executive it is branch? The, it's the executive branch under, yes. Okay, so it's part of the executive branch. Uh, could get through a loophole, print a trillion dollar coin. Glad to hear that's not going to happen. But man, they would have to have a cool design. Like you would have a cool, I feel like a trillion dollar coin would have to look pretty cool. That would be fantastic. And I should add the 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 specifics on this is it has to be platinum. Ooh. That is also a part of this rule. Baller. Okay. So yes, <laughs> a coin of any denomination, but it must be platinum and it must be cool looking, I'm sure. Yes. Wow. And the treasury secretary has been like, not going to happen. <laughs> What weird law was like, yeah, you can print anything as long as it's platinum? So I think it had to do with like coin collectors and valuation on that front. So it's just that's a really wonky random loophole and a really random law that just materialized as this debate moved on. And now we have lawmakers who are like, that sounds like a potential <laughs> way to address this ongoing crisis that we face every few years. But no one's tried it. And I think the the folks, of course, the Treasury Secretary also used to be the chair of the Federal Reserve, Secretary Yellen. So she, she's gone. Mm -mm. <laughs> OK. All right. Well, we won't know what happened, but glad to hear that a that a tri trillion dollar coin is not one of the uh, realistic options. Not not yet. We'll see where we go in a couple of months, but I'm holding off on that for now. OK. Well, thank you, Sarah. This has been super helpful. Is there anything else you think our listeners should know about the debt ceiling? Um as it pertains to investors or just everyday Americans? You know, I, I think right now it's one of those conversations where the bigger problem will need to be addressed in how we go about spending moving forward. Um, but that doesn't seem to be something that is addressed when we get to this debt limit crisis and counting down the clock to the so-called X date. Um, so big picture, I think there will be conversations about this, um, about how the U.S. is spending money. Um, but the other aspect of this, I think, is people will yawn when they hear about this now because it's happened so many times. Mm -hmm. And it shouldn't be something that people panic about at this moment. I really don't think that it, it, it is at the stage where there should be the panic. Um, but it is a pressing issue. And it's one that will continually become more and more dire as we get into the coming months. Um, and so that is where... Take a deep breath now. Stay calm. Don't change up your pattern so much yet in terms of how you're spending or you're investing at this stage. I don't think anyone, when we see these uh, warnings coming out of the White House or Treasury Secretary's office specifically or Congress are like, "Ooh, need to sell off like immediately. Like that's not where we're at right now. Um, but it is something to keep an eye on moving forward. And Everyone says we absolutely cannot default on our debt. Let's see if they hold that uh, up in Congress and keep on playing a game of chicken moving forward. All right. Well, thank you. This has been super helpful. I, I have learned a lot. I really appreciate your, your expertise on this. If people want to follow you and your reporting, where can they learn more about you? 
Sure. Uh, well, follow our reporting at CBS News, at cbsnews.com, your local stations, uh, our national news. Uh, we have the morning show and evening news as well. Uh, and then, of course, you can always find me on social media at Ewall Weiss. It's my last name, E-W-A-L-L-W-I-C-E, on both Twitter and Instagram. All right. Thanks again, Sarah. Thank you. Big thanks to Sarah for joining us for this episode. I learned a ton from this. I learned that I don't need to be anxious about this just yet and that we have a couple of months. Even though we have hit the debt limit, the U.S. is still paying its obligations and there is time for Congress to figure this out. I would love to know what you all think about this type of episode. We're trying something new just to help you stay on top of the important things that impact investors and ordinary Americans related to the economy. This is an important issue, and hopefully you learned something. You can always hit me up on Instagram where I'm at the Data Deli. You can find me on Bigger Pockets and send that feedback as well. Thank you all so much for listening. We'll see you next time for On the Market. On the Market is created by me, Dave Meyer, and Kaylin Bennett. Produced by Kaylin Bennett. Editing by Joel Esparza and Onyx Media. Research by Pooja Jindal. And a big thanks to the entire Bigger Pockets team. The content on the show on the market are opinions only. All listeners should independently verify data points, opinions, and investment strategies. The housing market is changing, and finding your way right now can be a bit tricky. There are rate shifts, there are confusing headlines, but at the end of the day, your goal hasn't changed. You probably still want financial freedom as much as ever. Well, the good thing is that experienced investors know it's not about trying to time the market, it's about the amount of time you have in the market. And if you're ready to get into real estate investing game, you can still do that. Or you can take your game to the next level by finding an investor-friendly agent. With BiggerPockets Agent Finder, you can find the right agent in just a few minutes. You head over to biggerpockets.com deals, enter in some details about what you want, where you want to buy, and boom, you instantly get matched with an investor-friendly agent who fits the bill. These local market experts can help you navigate the neighborhoods, analyze the numbers, and take action with confidence once and for all. This free resource is only available at biggerpockets.com deals. Get an agent, get the deal, and get closer to financial freedom at biggerpockets.com deals. That's biggerpockets.com deals to find your investor-friendly agent today. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all hosts and participant opinions are their own. Investments in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. Bigger Pockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.